0: Hey, folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk. Hopefully, you had a wonderful weekend. We're back at it again. Today on the line, I just happen to have someone I've known for a long time. I got my brother Jeff all the way out of Michigan. Hey, Jeff, you can say hello to the people out there.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, I too hope everyone had a great weekend. And I'm really not that far away out of Michigan, but only a couple of hours. Okay. Yes i've known
0: cleveland a long time okay folks hey um jeff agreed to come on the air today and uh talk with us uh we're going to get kind of caught up we haven't had too much of a chance to talk about a lot of the events that have been unfolding across the the world basically and uh you know he's got a family i have a family you know we grew up together in the same raised by the same parents so i kind of want to hear what his take is on a lot of things and where he sees this stuff going how it's affected him, and also maybe where we uh, think a lot of this could be solved if we kind of look at ourselves a little bit. Is that about right, Jeff?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's uh, what what we decide to talk about, and I agree with you,
0: yes. Okay, so uh, got you on the air here, Jeff, and uh, again, thank you very much for agreeing to do this today. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about your growing up. I mean, when you grew up, can you think back to when you started, especially when you started driving, what what did, what did your, what did our father tell us and our mother tell us about driving and, uh, respect and things like that? Go ahead.
1: You asked me to go way back. That's a long time ago. Good 120 years. I can't remember back that far, (laughs) But, but no, um, it was really interesting, uh, growing up um, i mean we could tell multiple stories around that and obviously a lot of your childhood development especially those k-8 through eight years and then you get into high school you start to form who you are and then you start to go on through different maturations of what kind of man you want to be right mm-hmm. and some of the, and some of the big things that i remember Uh, Around the time that you asked me about driving is um, it was more a a rite of passage, right? You didn't want to be left out. You know, all of the older siblings in our family, you know, could drive at 16, and I didn't want to be one that couldn't. But one thing that uh, our mother said to me uh, was, hey, you know, you're going to go through driver's training. You're going to go out on the road with a little driving instructor. He's going to teach you how to keep the car between the lines. She said, I'm going to teach you how to drive. I understand what that meant until, you know, after a while I started watching how she was driving and sometimes uh thought she was driving around in a DeLorean with a flux capacitor as <laughs> fast as she drove sometimes. Yeah. But she had an aggressive way in which in, in which she approached how she drove and that was based on her personality. But then our dad, he drove like a he was in a marathon. it never bothered him to drive, and he would take these long trips we would I would ride with him to Mississippi, we would go to ball games in Chicago, and he had a different methodical way in how he drove. It wasn't an aggressive manner, and that was his personality. So to answer your question, growing up was that advice wasn't really advice; it was more of. How they were doing things, and and depending on which per, which personality I wanted to follow. When it just comes to that simple thing of driving Cleveland, mm-hmm. it was the it was the action that I followed versus the actual words. Because right. at that time, you just kind of sixteen, you just let the words go in one ear and out the other, and then some things get caught up in your brain until you get old enough to decipher and understand what they were actually saying.
0: So it was more it was more their example that they were showing than saying anything.
1: Hundred percent,
0: percent yeah. yeah. So, you don't remember too much about hey uh, if you get pulled over or this is how you do things, or was that never brought up with you
1: it You know it was i talked to I talked to Pop about that, I talked to our dad about that in regards to and I refer to our dad as pop because that's what I called him. It was several times that we talked about it, but it wasn't instructional; it was more of a story, mm-hmm. and you know how it was trying to get a story out of Pop. But it, it's always, it always circled around something else happening. If Dan Rather on the news wasn't talking about it, he wasn't going to have a, a conversation until you dragged it out of him, right? right? But there were a few times that he he told me about stories of being pulled over, and it was almost like a feeling that you had, right? So you grow up, you're growing up, and you know that, but I don't think it was so much the driving as it was, the other words that Pop would say to me, hey, you're black. This is how it is. You cannot use that as an excuse, but you got to work twice as hard as everybody else so in that term, I'm thinking, well, if I've got to work twice as hard, what happens if I get pulled over? We weren't that far removed from you know the 60s and early 70s when there was a ton of strife. We weren't that far removed from it. Mm-hmm. So you, you did tend to have a little bit of a jaundiced eye towards a cop pulling you over, keeping your hands on a steering wheel, you know, yes sir, no sir, and then thanking them after giving you a ticket. Who the hell thanks anybody after giving them, giving them a, you know, something bad news, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it was more of those examples of, of how he talked about what we had to do as individuals that I kind of translated some of that over. But we did have a few conversations around around uh, being pulled over.
0: Right. Now, do you remember when we first moved out into that neighborhood? I mean, I think we were probably one of the only two black families out there because there was another family further uh, in the addition that there was a lady that started a petition to uh, have us moved out or get us out of the neighborhood. You remember that?
1: Cleveland, what's sad about that is her name is Mrs. Scott. She lived on the corner, and she started the petition. And, yes, I remember that. And I also remember Pop saying, hey, you guys are being watched. Everything you do, everything, every movement you make, people are watching you. And that was that was bothersome. But the funny thing about Mrs. Scott is she had the petition and, and – uh, John uh forget i know his first name was John but i forget their last name lived next door they built the they built the uh great wall of china between our houses <laughs> a big green fence yeah, yeah fence was like 10 foot high yeah. and <laughs> it was the ugliest thing ever so they didn't want to see us uh but fast forward uh i don't know maybe 10 15 years uh we owned the lawn and landscaping company and mrs scott calls down and says hey can you guys cut my grass i'm like pop i'm not cutting that racist lady's grass <laughs> You got you out of your damn mind, blah, blah, blah. I'm yelling about this to a man that's, that grew up in Mississippi and was born in 1927, right? Yeah. He seemed much worse. So I'm yelling about this, and he finally said, look, her money is green just like everyone else's. Go down there and cut the grass. So we went <laughs> down and cut the grass.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Scott. Hey, I, remember, yeah. <clears throat> I remember that because um, it's funny that the, the family that put a stop to it, it was one family. It took one family. To say, no, we're not doing this. And and basically knock it off. And uh, that was the Bastards. I remember that. Uh, and it's really? funny. Yeah. I ran into her a while back, and she remembered me. Right when she saw me, she remembered me. And, I mean, she's in her 80s now, but uh, it was the funniest thing. She put a stop to it. And then remember, Alan was our one of our best friends. I mean, he was over yeah. at the house all the time. But it's just yeah. little things like that that I guess when I see things happen here today, and i see things unfolding on the news today it kind of takes me back to things like that and in my mind i thought oh, i thought we were done with that kind of stuff i thought this was all over so i mean when you see when you see like the black lives matter when you see the protest i mean what goes through your mind what do you, i mean what are you thinking about
1: <laughs> it's uh it it's multiple things right it first and foremost it draws you right back to times in which you've had if you look at the the core of black lives matter right what the true situational aspect of it is is george floyd dies at the in the hands of of uh multiple police officers and it's filmed right mm-hmm. and that right away that that took me back in the conversations that i'm having with with the kids um your uh, nieces and nephew is guys i remember those days when Not when I was getting choked out by a cop. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not the same. But I remember those days when I would get pulled over for no reason. And, I, and I'm like, what? why am I being pulled over? And the mm-hmm. cop would never answer me, give me a ticket. I would get, I, one time in Kansas, I went to college in Kansas. One time I got pulled over by the same two cops within a week. They gave me a ticket both times. I like, why do you give me a ticket? Well, they gave me a ticket. And here's the funny thing about it. Because I didn't get my Kansas driver's license yet. I still had an Indiana driver's license. So unless they got x-ray vision and they could see my wallet in my back pocket, they pulled me over. So that drew me back to that, Cleveland. What's really sad about it is, what's really truly sad about it is that it didn't have to happen that way. Right. It it didn't have to happen that way. They could have taken uh, George Floyd, put him in the back of the car, and you had multiple police officers standing around him. And what I don't understand about that is with everything that we have in technology and video and all of these things and all these books written, you want to ask yourself this question is, where, what type of training is given? But then, I, I've never been a cop. I am not built to be a police officer. I would never, ever go walk down the street with a uniform on and say, I'm here to serve and protect. I would never do that. So I, I couldn't do it. Okay. And I, and you, you did it. But you ask yourself about the training, right? Is there a lack of training? Is there a lack of, 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 of what we need to do? But then you take it deeper. And that takes me down to, hey, the guy that had his knee on George Floyd's neck, his wife could have just had an affair. His kids could have told him that they hated him. His dog could have died. His parents could have passed away. He could have been having the worst day possible, right? And George Floyd might have been the individual that he took it out on. And no matter how much training that he had, he may not have been able to hold his, hold his anger and done that. So you have all these multiple factors. And I tell the kids this, there's three sides to every story. There's your version, the other person's version, and then there's the truth. I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent here or <laughs> I'm going sideways on your question.
0: No, no, you're fine. You're fine. But
1: the George, the George Floyd thing pulled me back to Wichita, Kansas. It pulled me back to the sports store there in our in our remember when we first moved in that neighborhood there's a sports hearts, first,
0: hearts sports yeah, store yeah yeah
1: <laughs> we would you and bruce and i our other brother would go in there and we were we were athletes we did we, we had some money to buy some stuff but we get followed around and people looking over you know peeking over you know racks of clothes and i noticed it but i didn't notice it because i'm thinking these guys ain't reacting which are my older brothers why i'm so i shouldn't react to it but it was there and so, and some people are, are predisposed to have certain ideas about other individuals, which is called judging, and they make up a narrative in their head, and then that narrative will draw will drive their actions to a point where it may cause harm to another person, oh, yeah, or yeah. and that harm could be that harm could be physical or it could be hey you just not get this job so
0: so did I mean as 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 your life was going on. And, I mean, we were living. We were both going almost parallel, doing the exact same thing. I mean, going to high school at the same time, and we knew the same people. Mm -hmm. Did you ever sense that you didn't fit or didn't belong or shouldn't go to certain uh, house parties or uh, events? I mean, did any of that ever cross your mind?
1: Yes, it did. It... (laughs)
0: well well, let me let me me go back because at the school we were at there was only very few blacks that were there but there was enough to know that we were there yes so i didn't when did that happen to you i mean when did you start feeling that
1: i felt that much earlier than high school cleveland i felt that back when we lived on fletcher street so when we lived in our first house and and we lived in a predominantly black neighborhood Mm -hmm. and until I got older, I never understood why we ended up at Concordia. but then there's this thing called busing, and we would we would have gotten caught up in the busing of busing kids to certain schools, so our parents chose to send us to Concordia because they can control how the education was they didn't get they didn't care that when we walked into the doors at Concordia, we would have been a few black kids or kids of color at Concordia Lutheran grade School, right
0: right. They didn't. Right.
1: They didn't worry about that. They were looking at, hey, if I got if I have to bust my children, I'm going to control that 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 narrative, right? Okay. So that's when it started for me, because you're standing now in two parallel worlds that are extremely different. We're living in on Fletcher Street, predominantly black. You know, hanging out with Tyrone, Maurice. <laughs> you know, all of them, the oink, oinks, all those guys, right? <laughs> right. Hackner. We're hanging out with all those guys. Then we go to Concordia, and there's a different group of friends that you're hanging out with. Right, right. But those friends at Concordia, were, the, the commonalities were not as, as strong. I mean, their dads went to work with shirt and ties on. They sat in boardrooms and cut deals. Our dad went to a seal mill, clocked in, clocked out, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're living in these two parallels, then you got to ask who am I at that point? And then when they, we moved out into the suburbs, we were just thrown into everything is white. At that point, it's like, wait a minute. Hold on for a second here. We're not getting any, at least when we were in Fletcher Street, where we were hanging around with some people, but now there was no black people. Those are just the ones that you go to school with. and But most of my friends, I mean, many of my friends that were black, I mean, we all played... Uh, we all came up playing sports against each other and knew each other, right? So, right. just like you, some of your friends who uh, were black. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I never, it, it started much earlier for me. I never had a place to fit. Okay. And one of the driving forces that sent me out to Kansas, I just wanted to get away from all of Fort Wayne because I felt like that was some of the worst situationally for me. I never felt I, I fit in Fort Wayne.
0: So, did you feel this more from the adults in your life, the teachers, coaches, and things along that line, or did you feel that amongst the kids? And, I mean, think back, think back to when you're talking about Concordia yeah. grade school.
1: Concordia grade, well, see, you didn't ride the bus but, like, one year or something like that, right? For Concordia? Grade
0: school. No, I rode the bus when I was younger. What's the matter with you? <laughs> or you weren't on the I, bus I, at the same time I was. You were little.
1: <laughs> no, there was a bus. See, we had the black bus coming out of Fletcher Street. And that was that was I forget her name. The yeah. thing was Mrs. Scott too. We had that bus, but I'm talking about we lived in the suburbs. You weren't on that bus. You only on that bus like maybe one or two years.
0: Right, and then uh, yeah, probably one year on the bus. But then it was close enough we could actually ride our bikes to school. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. then by yeah. that time I got into high school, right? Because it was seventh and eighth grade. But I mean, where did you yeah. feel? Where did you feel this uh, difference from? Was it the adults or was it the kids?
1: It was both because on that bus i can remember being on that bus not all those kids went to concordia so they went went with dispersed schools okay so look people's like oh yeah you lived out in the suburbs and went to concordia you guys are sheltered i'm like what shelter from you or shelter from the kid on the bus dropping in bombs and (laughs) and not wanting you to sit down next to them and it was happening on that bus Hmm. and even cleveland i remember this and it still burns me to this day the very first school day when we moved to the suburbs Remember, our mother just drove around trying to get us to school. Then we saw some of Bruce's friends that lived in the neighborhood, so she just threw us off there, and we hopped on the bus with those guys. You may not remember this. We get on the bus, we make it to Concordia. You and Bruce get off the bus first, and the snowman drive uh, bus driver the guy looked like Frosty the Snowman or whatever, or Burrow Lives, one of the two. He grabs my arm and said, "Hey, you guys gonna be riding the bus all the time." He didn't touch you or Bruce. He waited till the little one got up there, and he grabbed me. That bothered me to no end when he did that. So I got it from the I got it from the kids on that bus. I didn't like riding that bus, but I dealt with it because I knew I had to. But when I got to, to, to uh, school, no, no, the, the teachers, I know for a fact, those teachers did not treat me the same as they treat everyone else because if I railed against anything. I was down at the principal's office getting a paddle because, remember, we still had paddling back then. Mm-hmm. But if I watched any of those other kids that were not me or looked like me rail against the system, it wasn't the same.
0: Now, you think they were doing that because of the color of your skin or you think they were doing that because you were just a little bit louder and crazier?
1: <laughs> I think it was somewhat was because all of you guys went through before me. So they were I, I was predisposed to whatever whatever issues you guys caused, which you guys caused a lot of problems. It was it was it was because of the color of my skin because they didn't have any idea on how to deal with someone that did not look like them.
0: They oh, didn't. Okay, but when you say when you say that deal with someone who didn't look like them, mm-hmm. is it because you were causing problems? what, what do you mean no. by having to deal with someone who didn't look like them?
1: So if, if I'm white and I'm dealing with a white person, I probably I, – I have the same cultural understanding of what's going on, right? Okay. Pretty much. They took no time to get to know who I was, and that reflected in how things were taught, that reflected in how I was talked to, that was reflected in, in, in a lot of different things. Cleveland, it wasn't mm-hmm. just because I was being loud and railing against something, and it also took into account that I was predisposed to being exactly like the other four brothers that came through. Right. So, right. I mean, I, I was being prejudged.
0: Right, okay. So, again, it kind of takes us back to, I mean, well, I don't want to say back, but it takes me back to my question and also takes us forward also. So the things that you're seeing right now, the things that are unfolding, do you still think that a lot of people of color uh, went through that exact same thing, which causes the problems that we have right now and the un, the miscommunication that we see and Uh, Right now
1: hundred percent if I painted a broad brush across all the police officers and said they're all they're all corrupt That would not be right. So I cannot paint that same broad brush across any Color religion race creed or anything. So I can't say that all white people are, are, are doing that Cleveland. What I can say is this We have a billion ways to communicate through phones texting email all that stuff, right, but we are talking less And we are communicating less so let me give you an example a friend of mine marnie is jewish right right here in in, in michigan Mm -hmm. she knows my kids she knows judy i mean we we do deals together every once in a while if i want to know what it's like to be jewish i'm not going to ask you i'm ask marnie what we do not do and i'm guilty of this as well is i don't ask people hey what was it like growing up tell me what tell me what it was like growing up in danville kentucky whatever Tell me tell me some stories. What what what's different between then and now? Trying to get to understand your culture. You know, a gentleman on our sales team is Indian. Tell me, what's it like growing up Indian here and having that connection because your folks came from India? Tell me. I'm slowly doing those things because I'm I'm clearly understanding that if, unless I know about this person, the more I the more I know about this person, I'm going to find more commonalities that we actually have. And then I'm going to believe that, hey, if I cut this person, their blood's going to be red just like mine. Does that answer your question? Yeah,
0: yeah, it makes good sense. I hear what you're saying. Do you blame the teachers, though? Do you blame your teachers for the way they responded?
1: That, you know, that's a big question, right? <laughs> that's a loaded question, Cleveland. Well, yeah. um, I, think, I think I blame. I don't blame them the times, this is what the times said. At that time, we got dropped off at school. The expectation from our parents was, you're going to school to learn. The teacher's there to teach you. They are in charge. There was no give and take. There was no authentic connecting at that time, right? Mm -hmm. So a kid comes to school, unless that kid is physically sick, no one is asking that kid, hey, as a as a as a teacher, which your son, my nephew Austin, is a is a uh, teacher. I mean, he is in the education world. Sometimes you have to ask a kid, hey, how are you doing? I see you missed four homework assignments. What's going on? You don't. If you got 30 kids in a classroom, all 30 are not missing homework assignments four times in a row. That is the difference. They the authentic connection. I know they got a lot of kids. They got a lot of stuff they got to worry about, but. Authentically connecting with that kid might make a difference at that moment in those formidable years if they authentically connected mm-hmm. and I don't blame the teachers i- bl- I look at the times I don't blame anybody it's just the times right But what it really boils down to is if you can get to one kid and have that conversation authentically connect and find out yeah my my dad lost his job, my mom's working two jobs right now. I got three siblings at home. I'm up late, you know, cleaning the house, doing my homework, trying to get stuff done. I'm doing the best I can. My dad's a little depressed, blah, blah, blah. Now, as a as a as as an educator, then that empathy and my heart comes out and I say, okay, I'm not giving this kid a break. What I'm doing is I'm meeting them where they're at, and then I'm helping them get through whatever it is, and they know they have somebody they can turn to to talk. That is what I blame because it was staunch. You go to school, you, they break you down. You get, you, you, there is no give and take. Then you get back on the bus, get in bombs, get home. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the way it was. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. And my, and my escape was I can't wait to get to the field to play baseball. I can't wait to get to the court to, to play basketball, run track, football, whatever it was. My escape was that in movies. That was the escape because mm-hmm. it was it was it was so structured and rigid. No one gave a damn about your how you felt. Just do what I do. Do what I say. Right?
0: Right. Like hey, I said, we went through the same experience, and mm-hmm. I think. And do you believe it's how you reacted to that, or how you responded to that, uh, made a difference as you growing up, or what do you think?
1: Hundred percent. Hundred percent.
0: Okay, do you think you reacted to it in a – well, as a kid, you're not going to react to it the right way. But, I mean, now as an adult and you're looking at it, what what do you feel from that? Because you said something before. You said something prior to, that it still bugs you to this day.
1: Yes, Cleveland. And the big one was authority for me. And You probably know this. <laughs> I, I had huge issues with authority mm-hmm. because nobody was listening. And no one was listening to what I had to to say or ask. This is how I felt, right? No, no one was listening to what I had to say or ask. I slowly started getting to the point where, well, if they don't care, then I don't care. That also started pushing me into a less than attitude, right? Let me say this: Remember when uh, Pop used to come home with the newspapers in his back pocket?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: he never read them. But you know what that newspaper was? It was the Wall Street Journal. Now. He's not going to read the Wall Street Journal, but he would bring them home. He need to read his article. Well, you didn't read it. Why should I read it? But then I slowly started reading the Wall Street Journal. You and, you and I know what happened after that. Babe. You know, I, I started to get a, a, a taste of business, right? Mm-hmm. But Cleveland, I knew I was smart, but the way I, I felt and the way I put myself in a less than attitude from those feelings and from how I felt no one was listening to me. I then started to tend to project out to others that, hey, I'm not, um, I'm not that smart. That guy's smarter than me. Well, you know, that guy has a better job than me, that type of thing. So I started formulating those things, but I knew I was smart because I, I felt no one was listening or hearing me. I, went, I took a big downturn in regards to my real projection of how my professional life should have been and even my personal life. You know, afraid to talk to girls, <laughs> afraid to, you know, uh, get after it a little harder in sports maybe because I always felt like I, no one heard me. And, and I knew I had some good things to say, but I just didn't say them because I I felt like either, hey, I don't want to look stupid or they're not going to listen to me anyways or no one thinks I'm smart
0: enough. Okay. You say this less than attitude. Explain that. I mean, someone listening going, how did you all of a sudden get a less than attitude? What does that mean? Less than what?
1: less than the best version of yourself so and having and let me just say this first having a less than attitude Cleveland sabotages a lot of your success let me give you an example of a less than attitude you go you go to church I go to church and coming up in church when I had a young family you would see another family come in dad 6'3 his clothes fit, fit right good haircut full head of hair wife's stuff is nice All four kids are lined up perfectly between, you know, two years apart. They're all dressed nice, perfect haircuts. I'm like, man. And I look at my family, kids (laughs) crawling over stuff, you know, and and moving around, throwing up in church. I mean, you know, that kind of thing, (laughs) I'm exaggerating, right? You know, my my clothes are wrinkled because I raced to get out of the house. I'm like, look at this guy. He probably, he's probably the vice president or something. He can pay his bills on time. They got a nice car, nice house, take nice vacations. You know, everything's good. He's got a better watch than me. You know, that kind of silly things. So I start projecting that less than attitude. And then I, then that becomes a, a, almost to a point of jealousy, right? And then you, then you don't think that you can do that job, right? So you don't even apply. You don't believe that you can beat that guy one-on-one in basketball. So you don't even try or you give up. The less than attitude uh, is something that puts you lower than everyone else. So then you, let's fast forward. you mind if I continue talking? Well, well,
0: what well, I got to ask you, though, is yeah. no one said anything to you to give you that attitude. That was something you created on your own.
1: 100%.
0: Okay. It was created on my
1: own from all those different things that happened up to that point, right? Okay. So that's 100%. Make no mistake. The less than attitude is 100% on me. It does not have anything to do with anyone else. It's 100% on me.
0: Okay, and I know, I know you're going to keep going, but I'm going to ask you this. Do you think that this less than attitude runs a lot in, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, runs a lot in, I want to say, the minority communities, when they, even when they're pulled over or when they're questioned about something or when there is authority in front of them?
1: 100%. I oh. believe that 100%.
0: Okay, so you, you were going to go on because you're talking about the, the guy with his nice suit and his family. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, and I want to get back to your question because that's a good one. So, my less than attitude, I'm still now, now fast forward, I am now fighting and scratching my way in, in, in the business world, right? Mm-hmm, right. And I got, I got to go into meetings. And I can count on one hand how many times I walked into a meeting and the majority of the people. We're black in the meeting. I can probably count on three fingers how many times. In Cleveland, I've worked all over North America, right? Mm-hmm. i have seriously rare, what are the times? So what I'm saying to you is, there's white people in the room. Doesn't matter if it's a woman or a guy, there's white people in the room. What happens is, in some cases, before I understood what I what was what was happening in my head, and there's a very good friend of mine, still a good friend of mine today, um and I'll and I'll tell you what he did, but I would start judging right away and then I would go in that less than attitude. Of, oh geez, oh Pete, this guy's the the chief executive officer, he has his attorney here, the CIO is here, and I'm like, oh jeez, these guys are so much smarter than me. They make more money than me, they know they they you know got their act together, and then I go into that less than attitude and before I even get in the room and get going in the meeting, guess what? I, now I'm all locked up and I can't ask a question because and I can't make a statement, which I know is the right thing to do, because I think these guys got it all figured out. And I'm a sales guy, right? Mm-hmm. So this, that is the effect that it did have on me. But there's another side to that, and there's another side of good that came out of that. Um, but I want to go back to your, your question, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Why don't you re-ask that question, because I've forgotten it already. I'm I'm only thinking about myself
0: right now. (laughs) I'm saying with the less than than attitude that you feel that you have projected on yourself, you've done this yourself, do you believe that this is happening in the uh, communities where a lot of minorities are at? Do you think that this is where they run into the problems when they deal with authority with police officers? Uh,
1: 100%. Okay. 100%.
0: So a lot of the issues that we're fighting right now are, like you said, uh, people not feeling that they match up, they don't feel that they're being heard or seen, and it's something that they're doing themselves.
1: Well, yes, it is.
0: Okay, But there's a cause and effect, though. Yeah, yeah, but but, but the question I'm sure someone's listening to right now going, well, why don't you just quit being less than attitude and just do your job and do what you're supposed to do? (laughs) I mean, you know someone's thinking that. They are. How do you fight and, it? And, how do you fight that? Well, you've you been it's through drama. it. Come on.
1: Yes. It, well, it, in Cleveland, we, we haven't gotten to that point. Okay. But when I'm, I'm glad you asked your question. <laughs> but let's, let's look at this. Right. You and I went to Concordia Lutheran grade school. We took a history class. And in that history class, we got to slavery. Do you remember how many, how many days we spent on, on, on the – it's always about slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Any yeah. time we talked about American history of slavery, and then we jumped to Martin Luther King Jr., we talked about the Civil Rights, and we never talked about anything else but there are museums built on the, the progress. There's museums built on the impact that black people and people of color have had in this country that is positive. We didn't learn about Malcolm X. We didn't learn about Carver uh, Jr., the peanut guy. We didn't learn about any of those things. We did learn about the guy that made the uh, stoplight or the gas mask. We did not learn about those things. Because every time we learned about something, it was slavery, and then it was a civil war, and then the slaves are free. We didn't talk about those slaves being freed and then going right back into it because uh, they couldn't. We couldn't vote. We weren't citizens. We didn't talk about those things. So we were now disenfranchised. We had nowhere. We, we belonged to nothing. So you know, this twenty-one in and me and, and DNA testing and all this stuff. If you talk to black people, yeah, tell me exactly where you're from. Well, I'm from, I'm, I'm from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. No, no. Where's your family from? Who the hell knows, right? But if I talk to my white friends, where are you from? I'm from Ireland. I still got cousins living live in Ireland. Uh, we go back there and visit. I can tell you when we came through Ellis Island. There wasn't no Ellis Island for us, so we were disenfranchised already. And it started in grade school. Now, you want to solve some problems that's going on today? Teach proper history. If we taught history, because when, when we learned about the Indians, the Native Americans here, they were Indians back in the 70s when I was in, when I was in grade school, the Native Americans here. There were always these damn wars and fighting and taking the, and Indians were savages. They fought and hid behind trees and stuff. Well, I guess you would if somebody was coming to take your stuff, right? <laughs> right. So we, they were even, even if they fought at each other, and they were built to be warriors and fight and fought their other uh, Native American uh, groups, even if they were fighters amongst themselves, teach that too. But teach history the proper way. That's going to solve some issues. That's also going to shed light on the fact that, hey, we just didn't show up for the slave uh, slavery and then show up getting freed and then Jackie Robinson broke the uh, color barrier. I mean, seriously, there were tons of black people doing things. In 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 positions of power that we never talk about. So that's an issue for me. Okay. And we now all of that on top of the n bombs on the bus, on top of how you're treated in grade school. Yes, you're going to get a less than attitude. But is it right? No, I will never say it's right. Now you 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 do have to deal with it, right? Right. And that is and that is where you want me to go next, right?
0: Well, yeah, because I mean. John C. Maxwell, you know, we read a lot of that, but I think Malcolm Gladwell, and uh, I think it was in his book Blink, talks about that feeling that you may get uh, when you walk into a, uh, a locker room and you're the only black person and all of a sudden the conversation gets a little quieter and people stop talking. The same feeling is when you go into a boardroom and you may be the only black and, and you can sense there's some uneasiness, uh, be it an interview or whatever, and everybody's sensing that uneasiness. And you know it's there. You feel it. Trying to overcome that is also part of that overcoming that less than attitude that you're putting on yourself. Yep. So how, how do you fix it? I mean, here, here's where we're at. I mean, we know it's there. You know it's happening. You know it's a lot of the calls. How do you, as an individual, fix it for you? What do you do?
1: That right there, that puts us at the crossroads, right? Do you remember what Pop always used to say to us? You no, know,
0: he said a whole lot of stuff. I guess.
1: <laughs> but it, I know he did. Well, see, we're, we're talking about a man of a few words, right? Yeah. So he said a lot of stuff. So the lot of stuff that you heard was the same thing over and over again. Okay. <laughs> but the one about respect. Yeah. Respect yourself. Mm-hmm. Stand tall like a tree. Mm-hmm. Respect yourself, you know. Go work for the man, work for the man. If not, get out of his way. Mm-hmm. But his big thing was respect yourself. self Respect. Self-respect is the biggest respect you can have, right? That is it. That is the number one respect. What we have gotten to now is, I can't say that. That's not right. When you have a less than attitude, you've lost respect for yourself. So I want to say Cleveland seven or eight years ago, and you've met this guy. I'm not going to put his name out there. He's a friend of mine. Very successful friend of mine when we first met you know we were talking the the boys played football together all this other stuff and he and i and another guy ended up going up to uh rochester new york to the u.s open and i I knew them but i didn't know them, right you know what i'm saying we were so anyways we got to we had a ton of time together because if you ever been to a golf match trust me you got time all right because you watch a guy tee off and then he walks past you and you okay now here comes the next guy and it's the same thing over and over again so in that time we were together, we started talking, and I didn't realize who this guy was because I judged him ahead of time, right? I mean, right. yeah, he has money. His stuff looks perfect. He and both of these guys do. So I prejudged them, and we started talking. I said, look, guys, I judged the hell out of you. Yeah, these guys got money. They don't give a shit about me, this and that. And, you know, that was my less-than-attitude projecting out. So we talked about this, and, and we, we didn't go into details. Then I get a call from this guy. And he says, hey, can you meet me at a coffee shop? I just want to catch up with you. So we go and sit down at this coffee shop, grab a couple coffees, and we're, we're sitting there talking. He said, he said, you know, there's so much more inside of you that you don't even know it's there. Just from that time we spent in New York, you have so much more to give. But here's what your problem is, Jeffrey. This is your problem. You're like a car stuck in neutral, and all you're doing is looking in the rearview mirror. You're looking, and he, he took, he surmised this, Cleveland, from everything. You are more concerned about, you know, uh, getting uh, confirmation from your brothers that you're great or your family and all these things. He said, you're so worried about what, what your family thinks that you're successful and all this other stuff. You're like a car stuck in neutral. You don't want to take that next step. He said, you judge people. You're a judger. He railed on me for like about 30 minutes. <laughs> now, you know me. I have a very short temper. I was ready to come across the table and choke him out. And then when he woke up, I was going to choke him out again. <laughs> but, when we, but then on the other side of that is he's saying to me, just stop. Just stop it. You got to go to a dark place, a deep, dark place, and determine what kind of man you want to be. And this is not just once you figure that out, it's over. You got to do it over and over again because you have to be authentic. You have to be real. So he did, we had this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And I went home. I, I was pissed. I went home. I'm like, well, I ain't got to listen to him. But then i started thinking about it if you have true friends they should be a mirror they should hold up the mirror to you and let you know exactly who you are right right so he did this and when he when i had that conversation with him our my business took off my relationships changed and i reached a different level in business my relationships with my family changed my anger some of many, most of my anger issues started going down but it wasn't because he fixed me, it's because he held a mirror up to me and said, "Stop being the victim." Mm-hmm. You, so now, fast forward to exactly 60 days ago, We're at his country club playing golf, and I walked over and I was going to the uh, you know the driving range, the practice range to uh, you know, just get a little workout in,
0: and I had my hat on
1: backwards. One of the other members, and I'm not a member of this club, one of the other members of the club said, hey, uh, I know it's a stupid rule, but you're not allowed to wear your hat backwards at the club. What is this, Bushwood? Is this? <laughs> you know, come on, Caddyshack? I mean, no. So I'm like, and I, and I was a smartass. And I said, hey, I got another one in the car. It, it faces the other way. And, and I kind of walked off. So my friend says to me, do not be ashamed of your success, Jeffrey. You earned it. So you belong where you belong. Or will you choose to belong? Again, I'm getting lessons right in my, but I'm slowly fighting this less than attitude. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something it, as it with a less than attitude, or you have a, or you have a uh, issue with X, or your insecurity is something else. It never goes away, but you have to continually fight every day to become a better person and the best version of yourself, knowing that if you slip into that again, it's going to stop you from whatever you want. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about great relationships with your spouse, your kids, great experiences, having a lower blood pressure, whatever the hell it is, right? You have to fight every day for that. And the cool thing about it is, I know it's there. I see it come out and I quickly spin on it and, and take it away, right? So now that I'm aware, I keep pushing forward. And guess what? I gotta fight again for another plateau to become a better man. And you I don't know if you have seen it or anyone else has seen it, but each day I am to get better and there's days or weeks or even months I slip back into it. But it happens.
0: With what you're saying, mm-hmm. going all the way back, like you said, starting in grade school, getting on that bus, all right, mm-hmm. getting you know, things said to you on the bus, getting things said to you by your teachers. This started this whole less-than-attitude thing, and then the, the fight against authority. And mm-hmm. it, it, there's a fight that you're struggling inside of yourself, trying to prove that you're just as good or whatever. Do mm-hmm. you believe that has a lot to do with what is going on with what we're seeing with the protests, what we're seeing with the marches, what we're seeing with yeah, defunding police departments or dismantling the police departments and all this attitude along those lines? Do you think that has anything to do with that?
1: I do. I, I I do. I am not saying this across the board. What happened to George Floyd is not right. That's a tragedy and it's a hundred percent
0: not right. Okay.
1: Okay? That could be a reflection of how people feel about black people. I know it's a reflection of that, right? But you're asking me this question if it if it does. As an individual, God God gave us something he did not give angels. He gave us free will. We have free will to make a decision. And I could Cleveland, think about it this way, and then you need to magnify this, right? I could have simply stayed in that less than attitude and not recognized it and not fought against it and and not suppressed it but kept pushing it down and getting better. I could have stayed there, and guess what? I would have blamed you. I would have blamed my teachers. I would have blamed anybody I could blame for my non-success, for not getting married, for getting a divorce, for not being a good dad. For Having a, a a job that I I know that I could do better, right? hmm So now let's magnify that to a thousand Jeffrey inches What if all of us kept that attitude guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna take any chance we can get is to blame someone else for our peril. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah I'm with you. I'm listening so yeah.
1: now now you have I'm not saying all these people feel this way, but you have a lot of people that are railing against a situation that they may not truly believe in, that they may not truly say, we need reform versus defunding. Because if somebody jumped through my window in my house and steal my stuff, I'm not calling Ghostbusters. I'm calling the police. So you can't defund the police. What you can do is build an authentic connection with the police. You made this statement to your niece, my daughter, Jocelyn. Hey, why don't you go to the police station and talk to them? They're people. They ain't all trying to be racist. They ain't all uh, joining the Aryan Nation. Go talk to them. They got families. They got mortgages. They got, they got hopes and dreams. They have problems, right?
0: Right, right.
1: So situationally, we have to look in, in, into our own hearts and say, wait a minute. Hold on for a second. That is wrong. What do I want out of that? What do I want out? Now, what do we want to happen? Well, if we want police reform, I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what that means, right? No one does. It sounds good. I, it sounds good. Yeah. You know, I want, But what, what I'm saying is I can sit back and say, yes, we need police reform, but I need y'all to fix it because I'm not going to get involved. Well, if you get involved at the local level and say, Mr. Cop, now I know seven cops, not because I want to get out of a ticket, but I know seven police officers. If the next person does the same thing, by the time it gets to the point of making reform, people make change. So in the civil rights movement, in Cleveland, when Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, all those guys were doing things, to uh, the Freedom Riders, all of that, there was a sole purpose behind that. We have, we have to make change, and the only way we make change is we get people registered to vote in the South. And the only way we, we make additional change is we get civil rights, right? Correct. That's what we're going for. Okay. So we, they were fighting and dying for those things in black lives, Mat, black lives matters in it today. What happens next? What, what do I do? So my job is I'm just going to go meet some cops. I'm going to see guys. You tell me what's going on with you. Why, why do you think this is this way? Do you agree that you should be putting your knee on somebody's neck and choking them out till they die? I would say 99% of them will say no, but what happens next? I cannot defund the police department. You can't. You, why don't we just defund the, the fire department too? They're probably racist. They come at my house. They tear up my toilet when I got a kitchen fire. I mean, I, you know. So <laughs> you can't you can't defund the police? You can't because. Go ahead.
0: Okay. No. No. I I hear what you're saying. I got everything you're saying. So do you believe that fixing yourself first is most important before you can try to fix anybody? It, it takes me back to a movie. And you and I had talked about it earlier with Denzel Washington was a uh, pilot on a plane and he was, he was an alcoholic. Well, he yeah. ended up getting this girl, this lady, and he thought he could help her, you know, mm-hmm. get over whatever addiction she had, but then he couldn't even take care of helping her cause he couldn't even fix himself. And yeah. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it, it was a good movie. And I guess it was based yeah. on the true story. I don't know how much it was true. Maybe the pilot part, yeah. but the bottom line was if you can't even fix yourself, change your attitude so that you don't see yourself as less than or below somebody else, then how are you supposed to turn around and say the easiest way to make something change is to defund the police or get rid of police or all police are bad. I mean, am I on the right path there? Fixing yourself first is most important.
1: Well, yes, because what you're now saying Cleveland is if the officer that put his knee on George Floyd's neck was working to be the best version of himself, you, are, you and I are not having this conversation. It works two ways. It's not just everybody that's, that's railing against the police. It's everyone on the other side. The police, the, the entire, the look, the police department, they too are, are individuals that have to look internally and say, how can I be the best version today? What can I bring To my community to have the biggest impact today how can I impact one person in a positive way Mm -hmm. so we have something here where I work it's called 1440 Mm -hmm. there's 1440 minutes in every day Mm -hmm. our job and ours we strive for this Cleveland is for to have the best possible experience for every person every minute of every day Mm -hmm. we want that impact to be positive now it's impossible right so when you rail against something, but on the other side of that is, as a police officer, and you know I respect police officers, right? And the only reason why I do is because you're a cop. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I just don't want to get shot and thrown in. <laughs> oh, here,
0: we, here we go.
1: I, 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 I'm <laughs> totally kidding. You guys have to do it, too. It's not just the people jumping through windows and throwing rocks and, and protesting. It's on the other side, too. What am I bringing to my community to impact one single person so we can watch the news and we can watch people throwing rocks but then you get a clip on social media of a cop playing basketball with kids mm-hmm. of a cop skateboarding with kids or here in Detroit there's a cop that walk he, he decided to park his car and walk the beat and he's sitting there talking to kids you get these you, you start you know there's good stories out there but the media is only going to show you what's going to sensationalize and get people to watch their channel. But nobody wants to talk about the good stuff. So now you have a, a generation of, of, of kids looking at the police as the enemy. Well, you guys weren't goose-stepping and, and Gestapo and kicking in doors. I mean, there were some times when that happened. Don't get me wrong. There were times when that happened, and there probably times we still got cops out there that want to swing a stick and, and, and take people out. But you can't paint that brush across all of them. Right. This is not 1942 right. when they could just scoop you up and throw you in the back of the car and roll you in a ditch. I mean.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, and uh, like you said, as a policeman, I always knew and I, and I always believed this, that every call I went on, every call I got sent to, every person I ran into, I was supposed to be that person for them at that moment. Do every everything I can for that one person at that moment. Do the best you can for that person because for some reason God sent me to you. For some reason our our paths crossed and I'm supposed to do the best that I can for you at that moment. And that's what I always believed. And like you said, be the best version of yourself because you were sent there. Nobody else. Yeah. You got dispatched there. Or you ran in this person. They flagged you down. <laughs> okay? I and mean, you for that reason to do the best that you can. But I do believe, and I I mean, I listened to you tell that whole thing about, you know, know, not, not believing in yourself, being less than. I truly believe that if we work on ourselves first, I mean, I'm watching all this stuff unfold on the news. If we work on ourselves first and figure out what is really deeply rooted in us to cause us to behave the way we are, I think we would look at the other people just a little bit different and be willing to have a conversation. Willing to, to find out where they come from. I mean, you're talking to a policeman. It's hard to get anything out of a policeman. I mean, we're guarded. We're not going to tell you anything about us because we don't want you coming over to peeking in our <laughs> windows, okay? <laughs> and that's just that's just the mindset. Yeah. But when you're talking, having a uh, a for real conversation and find out, hey, we I didn't know we went to the same high school, or hey, I didn't know we knew the same people, <laughs> or you know, we ran against each other in track or whatever you find out they're just like you are. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's fighting a battle. There's no perfect person walking around out here who's got all their stuff together. None. But when we start trying to take away from somebody because we feel less than them, so let's take something from them, that's where the problem comes in. But, but but you know I I hope and I mean you're watching the, all this stuff unfold. What do you think? What do you think Black Lives Matters wants? What do they want? I've been asking this question to several of my my people that have called in. What do they want to make things better in their eyes? What do you want? I mean, do you know? I thought I saw you with a Black Lives Matter shirt on the other day. What, what, for what? What do you want? Um,
1: I don't know, Cleveland. <laughs> I I and I, I'm not asking that, and I'm not answering your question to be funny. Um, I don't I don't know, and I talked so my kids, they got Black Lives Matter stuff. They go to they they were at the protests and everything, mm-hmm. and we talk about it. And what I try to say to them is this: I'm like, your life does matter. And I said, your life matters, right? All lives matter, but until we have a feeling that all all that black lives matter as well, then all lives can't matter. Now, I agree with that 100%. Everybody needs to matter. Everyone needs to have the same opportunity. I don't say this needs to be given to you, but you need to have a level playing field. This is what the impact black lives matters can have is why is it that one kid can make it forward and, and be a productive member of society? I know that's some old term. They got a job, you know, they have started a business, they got a house, family, and they can and they can feel like, okay, my life matters because I'm doing things. I got, you know, this and that. I'm raising my kids. But another kid, he doesn't get that opportunity. He gets shut out of school. Look, when I went to college, let, let me just say this. I have two children in college right now. The cost of college is I might as well just go to the mob and, 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 and say, hey, why don't you guys do this? Because they're they crushing the, the amount of debt that some of these kids are going to come out of school with. Now, I've been blessed to be able to pay for my kids to go to school, right? I'm not I'm not saying, I you know, I can't carry that weight. As a man, you should be able to carry that weight. If you decide you want to be a man and have a family, you better damn well know you're going to carry some weight, right? That's just it. I don't care if it's financial. I don't care if it's emotional, support, whatever it is. You, you got to do it. But the cost of college is ridiculous. So what they're saying is unless you got 75 grand – don't even darken my doorstep. So now I got a kid that's smart enough, strong enough to go to college, but he doesn't have the 75 grand. Oh, but if you want to play, we'll go ahead and loan you the money, and we'll keep you in economic poverty, and we will keep you suppressed because you're going to have 200 grand when you walk out of school. You got an education, though. You got a ticket to get into the arena, but you're not ever going to get out of You're not ever going to get out of the, the, the social and economic uh, standards that you have today. So look at it almost as the welfare system or a prison that's a private prison. Think about that. It's a private prison. So their job is to make money. So you know how they make money? They got prisoners up in there. The welfare system keeps an entire portion of society down. I'm not talking only black. So when people say welfare, they think black. There's a lot of people on welfare that ain't black. They keep an entire group of people down. Instead of saying, we're going to spend this money, but we, now we're going to go work some people are going well welfare because they have to and they try to scratch to get off of it Others get into a cycle. So what I'm saying to you is this to get into the game It's gotten so much harder think about when you became a cop Cleveland You and Bruce went down and took the fireman and cop test, right? Right. Did you guys have a four-year degree? No. Okay I don't know what it's like today. But I think those. I'm not saying that you guys slid under the standard or you're a less than cop. I'm not saying at all. Oh, you're a damn good officer. What I'm saying is those standards have gone up, right? Right. To become a cop, well, don't price people out of the opportunity, and also make the opportunity open to everybody. And it's not today. It's not.
0: Okay, but well, every you know someone listening, you know what they're thinking. They're saying, "Well, you have the same right as my kid does," so. I can't feel sorry for your kid because your parents didn't get a good job to get the money to get you in college. So they're saying, well, why is it fair that I have to now just open the doors and let it flood in? I'm not saying that at all, Cleveland. No, I'm just saying that. I didn't say it. I'm telling you what yeah, somebody's thinking. I <laughs> you know.
1: I know. Yeah, well, now that you can tell what the masses think because, you know, you're, you're the favorite child. But <laughs> Here we go. No, no I know. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not saying. I'm, uh, look, here's the deal one of my kids goes to a four-year school. The other child that's in college chose to go to the local community college, right? There are are multiple ways to get that college degree, but it still takes money. If it's a thousand bucks for one semester at the community college and $50,000 or $25,000 a semester at a four-year school, that should be the same weight, meaning that if I go to if I go to the local community college or I go to Harvard, I should be able to that should be a level playing field because all I did was get a degree, to get a ticket in. Now, a local community college is only 2 years, right? I get that. But if I end up in, if I go to Harvard or I go to Central Michigan University and I get the same business degree, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I get the
1: same degree. Why does Harvard carry more weight than Central?
0: Because of the name, the name. Yes. And, and the history and the legacy behind it.
1: Cleveland, come on. That history and legacy is not making that one kid that much smarter, and he's not.
0: Okay, but but then that's the individual uh, business owner. That's the individual person who's doing the interviews. They've got to make that determination. But
1: they've just unleveled the playing field.
0: Okay. They have. Okay.
1: Because now, this is Jeffrey Inge. This is his his view of it. I could be 100% wrong. I was wrong this morning because I was late. So I don't care what school you went to. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. I'm looking for a 1440 person. I'm looking for someone that wants to grow professionally and personally when I hire somebody. I'm looking for somebody that has enough strength to raise their hand and say, I don't know I need help. Or, I'm struggling with this, Jeffrey. Help me get through it. Or, understand that I'm struggling through something, and we're going to fight through this together. That's what I'm looking for. So if you went to Harvard or you went to Central Michigan University, I don't care. You're right, that is up to the individual to make that determination, but it shouldn't be where Harvard, Michigan, Stanford, Yale. If I, if I draw a degree from there, my chances, I believe Cleveland, are much better of getting job X versus if I went to Kansas Newman University in Wichita, Kansas, which I
0: graduated from. With that being said, you walk into that interview, you're there to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. You have got to put your best foot forward and you know that from growing up. That was always told to us when we went to go get a job. Yep. You are there to sell yourself. So yes, that piece of paper that you slide out there that they look on your your uh, your resume and see, you still have to sell yourself. Yes, you do. Okay, so here's the thing. The fact that you can get into college, the fact that you're allowed to go to college is a is a level playing field at the start of it. So you get in there, you do the best you can, and when you come out of there, you do the best you can when it's time for an interview. It's mm-hmm. not to say that they're not letting you in anywhere at all. Nope. You're getting that opportunity. Mm-hmm. If your family wants to spend over $100,000 a year for you to go to one of those big-name colleges, then so mm-hmm. be it. But when you come out, you still got to sell yourself. You do. And does, but- it, does, it, does that piece of paper sometimes push you in the front of the line? Yes. But when you mm-hmm. open your mouth... Okay, you still have to sell yourself. Okay? And that, and that that right there takes us all the way back to what we originally were talking about. Okay? You got to quit having the less than attitude. You got to quit being the victim. You got to quit looking for a handout, okay? Instead, look at what you have accomplished. Look in, inside yourself and say this is what I am about. This is who I am. These are my struggles. These are my fights, but I know I can do better. Yes. I, I know I can present myself better. Mm-hmm. I know I can behave better. Okay, And then I'm willing to have those conversations. Once you start believing in yourself, you have conversations. You'll talk to people. But until you don't believe in yourself, we're going to have this gap all the time. Yes, this thing has opened a lot of doors. This thing has held a mirror up to us to see where our problems are. But if we don't take advantage of what is happening to us right now, Everybody says, well, everything has a purpose for why it happened. Okay, well, then look at it and say, why did this happen? This entire thing, we've been quarantined. We've been wearing masks. We've been told to stay away from each other, but things have happened. What are you doing when this opportunity is right here in front of us? What are we doing? Are we talking to our neighbors? Are we having that uncomfortable conversation? Are we looking just to feel sorry for ourselves and keep saying, things aren't fair, things aren't fair, and I'll take away from you. If, if I don't like the fact that my neighbors, okay, it's not fair that they have a better job than me, I'm not going to go over there and steal their swimming pool and drag it into my yard and say, now it's fair. Okay, they have a right. They have a right to live the way they live because why? They worked hard for that, and they got that. So I'm not going to say, well, it's not fair. You have cable, so I'm going to take over there and, and, and splice into your cable, and I get to have it too. No. I understand the level playing field. Trust me, I get all of that. But where does it come that you are now responsible for your actions? You are now responsible for what you do and say? I mean, where, where is all of that? I, I, I've talked to different people on the podcast, and I said, look, I understand people saying, oh, where's the training? There should be training for the police. They should be trained better. Well, where's the training for the people who are the ones yelling about it? Where's the training for the people who keep getting arrested? Where's the training for the people who keep being rude to police officers? You and I did not grow up in a day where you stand there and yell at a policeman. Where did that Where did that all of a sudden come? So because I feel that you're greater than me, I get to yell at you, and you got to take it. <laughs> no. I mean, where did this come from? Okay, so help me understand, and, I, and I'm kind of speaking from some of the people I've talked to, some of the policemen I've talked to, some of the just regular people I have talked to. They mm-hmm. get the Black Lives Matter. they get the marches, they get the protests, they mm-hmm. get all of that, but when do you start disrespecting the people that are there to serve and protect you? Not every one of them are maybe they like you, maybe they don't, but I guarantee mm-hmm. you when that phone rings and it's nine one one they get dispatched. they gotta show up. Mm-hmm. They gotta be there,
1: yeah, hey <laughs> I agree with you one hundred I agree with you one hundred percent
0: all right, I went off on a little tangent. Let me get off my soapbox no. right now. I'm telling you. <laughs>
1: No, and and here here's the cool thing about it, Cleveland. You're you're seeing that you get to sit at the intersection. You get to sit at the intersection, a black police officer, with a bunch of experience, right? Okay, but but, your, but,
0: uh, but, but, but hold I, hold on now. Even as a black police officer, have I been treated unfairly? Sure. Have I been pulled over when I wasn't supposed to several times? Especially when I was working in vice and narcotics. Okay, I was pulled over a lot for reasons, and I asked the officer, "Like, well, you know, I thought you was doing this. No, you didn't. (laughs) Okay, but did I get into it with them at that time? No. Did I invite them to a conversation? Yes. Did they show up? No. Okay, but did I harbor that inside of me and go around and go, "Ooh, all cops are bad." Ooh, no, (laughs) right? Because I was one of them. So what did I do? I made sure I treated people the way I wanted to be treated. You know, as yeah. goofy as that stupid show uh, Family Guy, I happened to watch Family Guy uh, last night, and my wife can't stand <laughs> it, okay? But there's a scene <laughs> with a policeman on there. His name is Joe, okay? He's the neighbor who's in a in, wheelchair.
1: In a wheel, wheelchair, in yeah. In a wheelchair.
0: If you watched that episode last night that I saw, Joe got on another policeman from another county, and, I mean, he tore into this guy telling him about, you know, you wore that badge, you got to hold yourself higher than everybody else's standard. He tore into this guy on the family guy. And I thought, wow, whoever wrote that episode knew that needed to be said at that time. And it was the neatest thing to see. As silly as that show is, that one moment sucked you in to say, he is so right. Just because you have that badge does not mean you get to treat people the way you want to treat them. He said, you are held at a higher standard. and You knew that when you got that badge pinned on you. And that's what I said. When I got that badge pinned on on me, God is sending you to every one of your calls. Don't Mm -hmm. think this by chance you just happened to be there. Even to this day, we go to people's houses, we visit them. We just happen to be there at the right time. We Mm -hmm. happen to show up at the right time. We always say, man, isn't that something? No, you were sent there for that reason. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm telling you, no more being the victim. No more saying it. I get it. I know changes need to happen. I get that. I see the marches. I know why they're marching. I know how I've been treated differently because of the color of my skin. But when are we going to change us to say, I need to do better. I need to behave better. I need to act just a little bit different. Nothing says don't lose where you come from, don't lose your history, don't lose all your culture and everything. So when someone asks me, Cleveland, hey, where are you from? And I say, hey, I'm from South whatever, Africa part because I've dug that up and I found out my family traveled over here on this slave ship and they got here. You need to be proud of that. But mm-hmm. you don't take that to be a victim. You take no. that to be proud of. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I've sat back and I've watched all this stuff, and like you said, I am saying this from a black man, from a policeman's perspective, from someone who grew up in basically an all-white neighborhood, went to an all-white high school, went to an all-white middle school, whatever, has been around all-white people. But you know what? I've seen a whole lot of things. I believe that we can do better. We as people should be doing better. But you can't do better if you don't better yourself first. If you don't put down some of the shields that you're carrying, some of the swords that you have in your hand, you can't shake a hand with a sword in it. You gotta Mm -hmm. put it down. If you don't pick up a good book and read it, and then you find out, oh, they talking about me. I didn't know I was that negative. Pick up a John (laughs) C. Maxwell book and find out if you're a leader or not. Pick up a Malcolm Gladwell book and find out, am I part of the problem? all of these things we need to do to better ourselves we can keep walking around with our head down and then saying well you ain't treating me fair I want to level playing field not to say what you were saying was not true but sometimes like you said getting in the game is the first part getting that ticket to the game and once you get in that game you better sell yourself you know that as an athlete for crying out loud you made the team so you better do the best you possibly can so you can get onto the field are you just going to be standing on the sideline with the water boy? And then there's no excuse after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, got, I said I was getting off my soapbox, but then I got right back up on it because I wasn't done yet. So,
1: no. Well, hey, <laughs> you, you, could, you could have done this thing by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: No, I, I, I get what you're saying. All the things that you went through as a young person, all the self-doubt that you created, all the hurtful things you may have done or said to people because of your own self-doubt, all the struggles you had to. And it took somebody to say, look, look at yourself first. Look at what you're doing. And like you said, that is a struggle every day. And you know when it's a struggle every day, every time you go to shave or brush your teeth, you look in the mirror and you go, you know what? I am black and it's going to be a fight, but I'm not going to let that fight get me. Okay. I'm not here to fight. I'm here to do the best that I possibly can. And if you like me because I do a good job, so be it. But if you don't, then that's your problem. You've got to address that with the people who hired you and say, hey, why is so-and-so not getting promoted? He's doing a really good job. Well, you know, it's just something about him. His shoes don't look, no, no, something (laughs) deeper than that. You do what you can do and the things will come your way that are supposed to come your way.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm (laughs)
0: telling you, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. No, no,
1: you don't, don't, don't apologize because (laughs) this is why we do this, you know. Look, man, I'm probably the only person I can get under your skin, and I wasn't trying to do that. No, no, um, no, no. This is a conversation.
0: We want to have a conversation. It, it, we want to talk freely.
1: No, we, we do. And Cleveland, Cleveland, you're right. You are right. And we talked about this. Yes, that 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 self. First of all, you know the self-respect, and then being the best version you can. And are you being authentic? So if I stood there to my neighbor and said, "Man, you need to cut your grass," and mine's up around my ankles and knees then I got a problem right a lot of a lot of people want to tell other people what their problems are but they don't want to face their own and they don't want to face internally and says what am I doing what am I doing to get better so this morning I had to get up early to well listen, two mornings ago I had to get up early I had to catch a plane so I was up at four o'clock and one thing I write down is the things I want to do that morning and I knew I needed to read at least two pages out of out of a book do you know how hard it is to read at four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> so, but I scratched up and I did it. And I bet I'm at best of focus on reading those two pages because I know if I didn't read those two pages, then there was something I was not going to learn to take me into that day to impact somebody else in that day. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but you, but to be able to do that takes a lot of strength. You remember the Admiral? Make your bed. Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw it. Okay. Yeah. So I I, I kind of instituted some of that. I know not some of it. I instituted that with our some of our younger salespeople. I'm like, make your bed in the morning. So when you come home at night, you know you 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 know you're coming back to something that you accomplished the first thing in the morning. Try to get little small victories. Mm-hmm. What we what we sometimes tend to do is, and I say this to my children, <laughs> when you're working the jobs you're working now, when you're 16, 17, 18, 19 years old you're going to complain about those jobs. I did it. Your uncles did it. We all did it, right? But your grandfather worked at a job for 38 years because his options were limited. He didn't, he didn't graduate high school. So he knew he had to get up at five to get to a job at seven. That was only 15 minutes away. He couldn't miss work. He had to be there. He had to bring it on the daily. Mm -hmm. But we, complain, and bitch, and moan about our jobs, ah, you know, the man keeping me down, I ain't making enough money. Come on, go get a different job. They have options, right? Right. So you have to look at your situation and say, is it really that bad? <laughs> and, and, come on, is, is it really that bad? No, because we look at other people just like you said and say, well, they got that, I should have it. Well, sometimes you have to look inward and say, what exactly, why do you get up at work? So we do, we work on why, Simon Sinek has a why. Why do I get up and go to work every morning? You have to ask yourself that question. Everyone does. That's part of that best version of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I want to make a bunch of money. Well, that's crap because what are you going to do with the money? Huh, here's $10 million. What are you going to do now? Are you happy? No, you're not because there's something about the money you make. There's something about the job you go to. And we always talk about, well, you know, it's a crappy job. Well, hold on for a second. Is it crappy because you make it crappy or is it crap because – Somebody else is doing it to you. Many of us go to work with a bad attitude anyways. Oh, it's Monday. I've got to go back in the office and go to work. Well, you've got people sitting around wanting to work, wanting to do your job, and you're complaining about it. So all the way back to in- internally, Cleveland, that fight, that struggle you have, you've got two dogs. One dog is going to tell you, man, you know, screw it. These people don't like you. This is, this is crap. You ain't got to work that hard. The other dog is here, Let's go. We're gonna make it better. We're gonna have an impact. Let's go help somebody else. Because if you ain't feeling it today, go help somebody else feel better. Then you're gonna pull yourself through and you're gonna bring it. Because that's what we have to do. Now, when it comes down to everything that's going on, you're 100% correct. It's almost like telling like telling your neighbor the grass is too high. You can't. You gotta cut your own grass first. Take care of your own yard, which means take care of your own house, then take care of your own self. And take care of your own family. You guys be right. Be good. Then you can go out and have an impact on somebody else. Mm-hmm. But do not, and in and, and all of the, our conversation today, Cleveland, I'll say this. I am not blaming anybody for whatever transpired with me. Right? Right. I did allow people to have power over me because I gave them that power. Mm-hmm. But then I have to take it back. And I have taken it back. Nobody, nobody determines my happiness but me Mm -hmm. and that is very critical because i can choose to be a complainer i can choose to be a less than guy or i can choose to be a better version of myself right every day
0: right and that's and and that's that's all i'm saying okay i don't care if you're white black uh, red or whatever you may be okay it all hedges on you it all hedges on if you want to do better if you want better And I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this statement and people are going to go, oh, that's just terrible that you said this. I truly believe if you present yourself right, if you do the things that you know are right, being black has an advantage. You may say, that doesn't make any sense. There are times when being black has that advantage. Because why? Because I can guarantee you there's somebody sitting in that meeting, somebody sitting in that interview going, "Hmm, I think we need a black guy. And Edwin just happens to be the one. He presented himself very well. He didn't steal anything while he was in here. <laughs> you know, there's an advantage. And there's somebody, there is somebody who actually gives you that opportunity because you're black. And you and you cannot tell me that's not true. And I don't care who's listening right now Say, oh, that's not true. Yes, it is. There's somebody that gives you that chance to say, you know what, I think it's time. I think it's time we hire somebody black. I think it's time we need to look into a black candidate. Mm -hmm. And then they pick you. But yet, you know why? Because you sold yourself properly. You had everything you needed in front of you. It didn't need to come from Yale or Harvard, but it had enough to show. By going to college, you can learn. You went because you wanted more knowledge. Okay, And they see that you are somebody who finished something. It doesn't matter where it came from, but you know what? They're going to give you that chance. They're going to give you that shot, but you better be ready. When that opportunity comes knocking, you better be ready to open up the door. You can't stand there an opportunity knocking going, well, you know, I would go, but, you know, that's not fair. Well, no, it's there for you. You got that job. I can guarantee you. I was told, I was told when I went and worked at another department, I'm not even going to give them the credit because of how bad it was. (laughs) Okay. I went and worked at another party. They flat out told me, we want you because you're black. I said, okay, but you know what? I got that job. I got paid just like everybody else. And then when I chose to leave, I chose to leave. But they flat yeah. out told me that. They weren't hiding anything. Mm-hmm. So those opportunities do come up. So you can sit there and be mad and say, oh, that's wrong. can. It's true no matter where. Okay? Yeah. You get hired because you're a friend of a friend who knew somebody. You get hired because you live in the same neighborhood as your cousin who happened to know him. And it all depends on what you do on that job. You get advantages all the time. They're yeah. everywhere. But I'm not going to take from you to make me better. I'm not going to steal no. nothing from you to make me feel better. It doesn't work that way. No, None of it does. Cl-
1: Cleveland, um, <laughs> real quick. We, 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 hey, I, I'm, I'm all in on what you're saying. I want to tell this story because I think it's very pertinent.
0: Well, do you want to so, tell the, you want to tell the story on the next podcast? Are you you want to hold on to that one? <laughs> I
1: I want to conclude this podcast.
0: <laughs> okay. With this with a short
1: story. You probably don't remember this story. All right. But then we do have to conclude. I I have a uh, I have aye, aye. I have to jump on a call. Okay. But here here's a story. You told me this story. It was uh dom- you were still in uniform and I I made fun of you and we joked about this. You were still in uniform and it was a domestic dispute. Now, those things are ugly, according to a lot of what you've told me and or what I've read, but this one wasn't as bad, and when you guys got there, everybody was calm enough that the, the wife gave you you and the other officer coffee, and you guys sat down on the couch and chairs, and you guys had a conversation with this couple. Instead of hauling their asses to jail, you guys had a conversation with them. I was joking that you were sitting there with your hat tilt back drinking mm-hmm. coffee, no talking, but... I don't. You probably don't remember that, but you. That moment when you when you talk about God sent you at that moment, or that was your opportunity to impact the lives of those people. That is you being at the best version of yourself. I mean, you could have rolled up in there and start slamming the dad to the the husband to the concrete and cuffing him up, but you guys went in and the opportunity, as you said, presented itself to have that conversation versus hauling people to jail
0: well that's one of those you feel that at well, that moment they're all about at that moment yeah you feel but, that at that moment yeah
1: yeah but as a cop mm-hmm. this is where this is where you uh, that's why i could never do your job and and, and, I, and I respect what you do and I, and I joke about it and things but i respect that because somebody could have went in there hot right let's right. say that you okay. had a bad morning kids threw up on your shoes dog chewed up the couch you, you know, your wife slapped you on the way out the door, whatever. You could have rolled up in there and took all that with you, and somebody was going to get hurt because I know you. <laughs> somebody was going to get hurt and twisted up, right? But I believe, Cleveland, that even if those things transpired, you would have still been present that opportunity, and you would have still been sitting on that couch drinking coffee because you have the ability to do that. That is the struggle that a lot of people have is – you got to be able to be your best version because you don't know what those people are going through.
0: Right. So, right. Hey. Every, everybody's fighting a battle. Everybody's yeah. fighting a battle. And yeah, true. We,
1: and are we gonna, we're going to do this on the next podcast. We're yeah, we, we
0: right. can continue talking. I mean, it's, all it is is, like I said, just having a conversation and talking and being open and, and, and honest. And I think the biggest thing, again, is look at yourself first yeah. before you want to take from somebody else. And I don't, okay. care, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Look at yourself first. Fix you, okay? Mm-hmm. Or you will never be able to help anybody else. You and then, All right, Jeff, I appreciate you taking the time out this morning being here on Police Pod Talk. And, again, let's pick up this conversation again and uh, make sure we've said everything we need to say because I have been sitting back not saying too much of anything. I've been taking in a lot. But uh, it's good to, to vent a little bit of it out with you because, I mean, you know me. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't listen to half
1: the stuff you say anyway, so I'm kidding. <laughs> That's quite all right. All right. No, all right. Hey, thanks,
0: thanks a lot uh, for being on Police Pod Talk. And, folks, catch us again where Jeff and I will finish our conversation again on another day. Thanks for uh, tuning in to Police Pod Talk. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com. Or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Jr. or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.